Wow. That, that's amazing. Uh, even Inside Edition can see that this woman has given her children too much. In fact, I, I did a little more research behind the story just to make sure it was true. And actually, when it was all said and done, she gave 96 gifts to each kid. When is too much too much? One clue may be that if your gifts are almost as tall as your tree, might be too much. When is too much too much? I wondered about these kids as they unwrapped these gifts. Where were they going to put all of these toys? When is too much too much? When you don't have room for all the stuff that you have, you may have too much stuff. When we have clothes in our closets that we haven't worn in over two years, we may have too much. When we have toys that we haven't touched in over a year, we may have too much. When we have to rent a storage unit to hold everything that we have because our closets and our attic won't hold everything that we have, we may have too much. Did you know that one in 10 families in the United States today now rents a self-storage unit? The modern self-storage unit with their garage door, uh, in, uh, 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 garage door entries actually started uh, here in Texas in the 1960s. Uh, depends on who you talk to. One said it started in Corpus Christi. Another one said it started in Odessa, Texas. Over the last four decades, the modern self-storage industry has been the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry. It's growing very rapidly. In fact, Bloomberg Magazine reports that the U.S. self-storage industry generated more than $32.7 billion in revenue last year. That's three times the amount Hollywood received in revenue in their box office sales. $32.7 billion. We spent renting space to store our stuff. Why do we have so much stuff? And what should we do with all the stuff that we have. To find out, turn in your Bibles, your Red Pew Bibles, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. It may be found on page 1108 of your Red Pew Bible. Luke, chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper to give us an orderly account of the teachings and the life of Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that as we read these words, that you might speak to us again, that we might hear from you, and that we might be forever changed. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Take care and be on your guard against all covenants, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, the Greek word for covenant is here can also be translated as greed. I like the way Eugene Peterson, it translates verse 15 in the message. Take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. The least bit of greed. Greed is one of the seven deadly sins of the Roman Catholic Church. Greed is one of the seven deadly sins because greed often leads to other sins like lying, stealing, even violence against your neighbor. Greed is ultimately a form of idolatry because as we focus on accumulating stuff, we turn our hearts away from worshiping the one true God and we pursue wholeheartedly the stuff of this world as we allow greed to take us over. When a man asks Jesus for help because he doesn't feel that he's getting his fair share of his inheritance, Jesus can read this man's heart and see that really he is motivated by greed. Knowing that the man wrestles with greed, Jesus wants everyone who is listening to hear, take care, he tells the whole crowd. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Let me read that last sentence. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. That's not what our culture says, is it? Our culture tells us that life is defined by what we have, particularly when you have a lot, right? I mean, that's what our consumerist, materialistic culture of the United States says, right? The person with the most stuff ultimately wins. Our culture would lead us to believe that security is going to be found in our stuff. Advertisers want us to believe that the more we purchase, the happier we will be. The more stuff we have, the more content we will be. Now, admittedly, there is a... a, feeling of joy when we get a new gift. I remember when I was a little boy, I received the Millennium Falcon one Christmas. It was in the 80s. I probably had a haircut just like that. I was so excited to get the Millennium Falcon. I played with that thing for months. I couldn't, couldn't get enough of it. But then I matured a little bit, and, and well, I moved on to G.I. Joe toys, the G.I. Joe toys were a little bit better because the, they could bend at the elbow and they actually looked like real men holding real guns. It was awesome. I played with G.I. Joe for, for many, many months. But then eventually I got tired of t- Star Wars and G.I. Joe and, and I, I moved on to video games. And as I was playing video games, I had a closet, several cabinets, and a toy trunk filled with toys that I didn't even touch. In fact, a British research group found that the average 10-year-old has 238 toys, but they only play with 12 daily. Now, as adults, we don't play with toys. We don't have a lot of toys filling our closets, but we do have a lot of clothes, if we're really honest with ourselves. 
I imagine we probably have clothes that we haven't worn in over a year or two. Forbes magazine reports that the average woman in America has 30 outfits in her closet, one for every day of the month. Now, just compare this to the 1930s. In the 1930s, the average woman had nine outfits in her closet. How do we move from nine to 30? Well, fashion trends change. We've got to keep up with the latest fashion trends. And so we buy new clothes. They go on sale. They've got these great Christmas sales and after Christmas sales. And we justify our purchase pointing out that, well, we got it on sale, right? We saved some money. Actually, the best way to save money is to not go shopping. Just throw that out there for you. I love what Dave Ramsey says about this. Dave Ramsey is a financial planner. In fact, we teach a a financial uh, course on how to be a good steward of money. It's the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace Course on Wednesday nights. We'll be teaching it again. If you want to learn about how to get out of debt, how to save for retirement, just some basic stuff. He says this, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Why do we do that? Why do Americans do that? We, we buy things we don't need with money that we often don't have. We put it on credit cards to impress people that, frankly, we don't even really like. Why would we do this? I think the parable that Jesus tells in our story helps explain why we as Americans or human beings in general tend to consume so much. Let's look again at that parable closely. We pick it up in verse 16. Jesus says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now notice as I was reading that parable, how many times the pronoun I was there? And how many of the possessive pronoun my was in that parable? This man is so isolated and so selfish that he has to have a conversation with himself about what he's going to do with his stuff. He talks about how, what am I going to do with my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul? Does that sound like a man who understands the biblical concept of stewardship? In Psalm 24, verse 1, it's right after Psalm 23. We all love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, a great psalm of King David. David also wrote Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, verse 1, we we read that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, for he created it. All that we have and all that we are is ultimately a gift from God. Sure, this farmer probably plowed the soil, planted the seeds, and weeded the field, but he must have known that he was able to produce so much because of favorable weather, right? Uh, Surely he must know that God controls the weather, not himself. And yet in his discussion with himself, there's no mention of God, no attitude of gratitude, simply a focus on himself. Selfishness leads to greed. When our eyes are focused on ourselves, we will selfishly, proudly, and erroneously believe that everything we have is by our own effort 
and we will seek to get more so that we can feel like we have accomplished more. Isn't that what many in our culture do? Rather than looking at life through the lens of grace, that all of life is a gift from God, through the lens of grace, grace is God's unmerited favor. Instead of looking through the lens of grace, we look at the lens through personal achievement, personal accomplishment. After all, we live in a very achievement-oriented culture. We're measured by what we do and what we have. We celebrate the self-made millionaire, the rags-to-riches stories of people who've made something out of nothing through hard work and, and perseverance. When billionaires share how they made their money, I have yet to hear a billionaire thank God for their blessings. Success in our culture is often measured by what we do and what we have. When we view everything through the lens of personal accomplishment, then our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do and our security is sought in what we have. The successful farmer is incredibly selfish. He seeks security in his stuff so that he can relax, eat, drink, and, and be merry. Can you imagine what the first century audience must have thought as they were listening to Jesus tell this parable? You see, the crowds that followed Jesus, for the most part, were, were working class people. They had maybe two or three outfits, not 30 They didn't have self-storage facility units to store their stuff or barns to store their excess grain or food or clothes or items. And so for them to hear this story about a a man who was very successful in his farming, who was going to tear down his barn so they could build bigger barns, would have been an abomination to the crowd listening, particularly when the law of Moses clearly states that farmers are not supposed to harvest their entire crop. Farmers, Jewish farmers, We're supposed to leave some food for the sojourner, for the poor, so they might have something to eat. We read about this in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, verse 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Sadly, the successful farmer doesn't seem to care what God's law has to say, what God's word has to say. He doesn't care about God, and he doesn't seem to care about his fellow man either. He just cares about himself and making sure that he has enough room for all his stuff. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. Jesus is real clear in our parable that only a fool thinks that life consists in the abundance of possessions. Only a fool will seek his security and his identity in his stuff. Only a fool will spend all of his life chasing after stuff because Jesus reminds us when we die, we can't take any of this stuff that we have with us. So what should we do? What should we do with the stuff that we already have? Well, I think the best question to ask really is what would God have us do with the stuff that we already have? How might we use the stuff that God has blessed us with to help further the work of his kingdom? After all, after telling this parable, Jesus then says to the crowds listening, consider the birds of the air or the lilies of the field. Doesn't God feed the birds? Doesn't God clothe the lilies? Aren't you more important than the birds and the lilies? 
Of course we are. As we think about the Christmas story, we know that when God sent his son to this earth, he didn't become a bird, he didn't become a lily, he became a baby. He took on human flesh so that he might redeem our humanity, so that he might save us. For by living as a real human being, Jesus was able to fulfill the just requirements of the law on our behalf. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father, obedience even to the point of death on a cross. And he died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Then on the third day, with his bodily resurrection, he conquered sin and death on our behalf. Yes, it was only by taking on our flesh that Jesus could save us. Now, in gratitude for God's redeeming love, we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We should ask God to guide us in how we might use the stuff that he has given to us. How might we take what he's given to us and help bless others? Yesterday at 11 a.m., we hosted the angel tree party, which was great. Will and Anita and Murray helped put that together. I know many of you, like myself, we gave gifts. These are children whose fathers, uh, for the most part, are incarcerated. And so they're not able to have a, a Christmas with their parents. And so we give an opportunity to bless these children. It was great to see the families who came, mostly single moms, bringing their, their children. And I got to talk to a little boy named Nicholas, who was four years old. And he came on and he came into the great hall wearing a Spider-Man jacket. He loves Spider-Man. Well, as he was unwrapping his gifts, oh my goodness, the sight of joy and delight in his face as he saw that someone had given him from our church a Spider-Man t-shirt and a Spider-Man figure and a Spider-Man motor. It was awesome. Whoever did that, great job. You scored. You nailed it. Grand slam, home run. He'll never forget opening that box. Now, my children, they, they get excited when they open the gifts. I love giving my kids gifts. But as great as and joyful as they are, it's not quite the same look of delight. Because my kids know every year they're going to get something. But I'm not sure Nicholas knew he was going to get anything. And for him to come here in this church and receive a gift simply because he's here, simply because Jesus loves him, and he could see that as a part of this community, we want him to experience the love of Christ, the joy and the delight in his face. It was priceless. What does God want us to do with his stuff? I believe he wants us to bless others. We have been blessed to be a blessing. How can we bless those who are far from God? Nicholas doesn't go to church, but I invited him to this church. I'm not sure if he'll show up. not going to come to 8.30, maybe 11. I'll pray that that happens. But I know this, Nicholas knows that he's loved. Loved by the people of this church. The people who follow a savior who demonstrated his great love for all of us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us his all. What can we do with the stuff that God has already given to us? Maybe those clothes that are hanging in our closet that haven't been worn in two or three years should be given away given to someone who might be able to wear them, whether it be the Salvation Army or Goodwill, or maybe we know someone in our life who who might be able to make better use of those clothes. I was doing this last night. Literally, I write this sermon. I know I'm preaching it. And I'm putting my clothes away, and I'm noticing that as I'm putting my T-shirts in my T-shirt drawer, it's a little tight. I've got too many T-shirts. I went through them all, put a bunch in a bag. I plan to give them uh, tomorrow to Salvation Army. 
what is God calling us to do with the stuff that we already have? Those toys that our kids haven't played with in over a year, wouldn't they be better used and better served in the hands of a child who has no toys? What can we do with the stuff that God has already given to us? Before we buy any more stuff this Christmas, we should seek God's guidance and help in knowing how we can give it away and who we should give it to. For as Jesus says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our life is found in following Christ. The abundant life, the full life, eternal life is found in following Christ, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness as we seek to bring all glory and honor to him. This Christmas, may we seek the kingdom of Christ and not all the stuff. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a very generous God. You have been so generous to us. In gratitude, Lord, for your generosity, help us to be good stewards. Help us to be generous to those who are in need. Help us to do an inventory of the stuff we already have, the clothes in the closet we haven't worn for some time, the toys in the playpen that we haven't, our kids haven't touched in years. Lord, help us to simplify. Help us to be generous, knowing that generosity is the best way to battle greed. Help us to be generous so that we might reflect your generous love for us. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people say.